you have your Bible with you this morning, I would love for you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. The book of Galatians, chapter 5. We began chapter 5 in the first five verses, the first six verses, last week. And although we did cover all six verses, instead of moving beyond them today, I want to take a moment to slow down with you and and stop on two of those verses, the two that we ended up with last week, and really, really think about how the just in Christ live the Christian life. I really want us to stop and think about this this morning. And if you have your Bible, I hope you do. We're going to do a lot of turning. Because really at the beginning of chapter 5 in this book, I mentioned to you that we turned a corner to the more practical section of the letter. In other words, all of this theology, all of this doctrine, justification, salvation by faith alone. And it happens by the grace of God alone and it's in Christ alone. All of that that we've covered in chapters 3 and 4 turns a little bit of a corner, and in chapter five, chapters 5 and 6, Paul wants to help us to see, well, if we don't live the Christian life through legalism, then how do we live the Christian life? And we began last week to deal with that and to address that, and I want to do that again this morning and just make sure, and I think my goal here, my aim, is that as we go through this and then we continue through the book that this message today will just be so solidified that, that the rest of it will be uh, just adding more of the same, adding different flavors to this great, great truth that we're going to discover today. So you see it in a sentence really on the screen, faith works through love empowered by the Spirit. And so we're going to spend ever how long thinking about that biblically for just a moment. Faith works through love empowered by the Spirit. So let's let's just read chapter 5 beginning in verse 1 and we'll read down to verse 6 and then we'll pray. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. And here's our verses. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bow our heads and hearts to you this morning and Pray that you will take the words that we have read 
And lift them as it were into our hearts, minds and souls. Lord, that we would understand them and we would live in the freedom that you have given us in Christ. We would live in the joy that you have given us in Christ. And the pleasure that you have given us in Christ. If there's any strongholds of legalism in us, break them today. Through your word, by the power of your spirit. There's one lost. We pray you would call them and draw them. And as the wind blows, so your spirit would come. And awaken. Awaken the soul. To the reality of sinfulness of their own hearts. To the reality of a crucified, resurrected Savior. To repentance and faith. We pray this by faith in the name of the Lord Jesus. And amen. Amen. So what we're going to be dealing with in these two verses that we kind of introduced last week. Is how do we live the Christian life? How do you live the Christian life? Some of you today... This could potentially be a life-changing service for you. You could, you could potentially leave this place today so liberated from a legalism that you didn't even maybe realize you had. How do you live the Christian life? Let me say this to you this morning as we begin. In verse 6, Paul writes that in Jesus Christ, it's not circumcision that counts. It's not uncircumcision that counts. But it is faith working through love. So one of the things that that kind of a statement does is it helps us to understand chapter 5 verse 1 when he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. And then we can understand that there's a balance here, isn't there? That the freedom that we have in Christ is not the freedom to sin. But my friends, it is for the first time in your life, the freedom not to sin. It's not freedom to sin that we have in Christ. It's freedom not to sin for the first time. But the question is, how do we come to that place? And what is the motivation and the strength for a life that does work itself out in expressions of love toward God and toward other people? The Christian life is to be a life full of God-honoring, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-displaying, gospel-advancing Good works. Come on, say that again. The Christian life is to be a life that is full of God-honoring, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-displaying, gospel-advancing good works. This is evident in Scripture. It is evident in the New Testament. I want to take a few moments to make that case. You can see it as we read in verse 6 that what really counts 
And I believe he's talking about what gives us the assurance of our justification in the sight of God. It's not circumcision. It's not that you're not circumcised. It's not either one of those. But it is the reality of faith that works in love. That gives you assurance of justification in your life. That's what counts is that there is a life of faith that works and expresses itself in love. And so that would be the first biblical evidence. But we could go back, couldn't we, to the teaching of Jesus on the subject. Because Jesus told us that this would be the case in Matthew five sixteen. So if you want to turn, you can, or you can just jot that down. But in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 16... Jesus says this, talking about how that a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. It's up there on the hill and you can see the lights from afar. He says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your what? Good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. God honoring, God glorifying good works are to be the trademark of the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at this, let's look at it again. Paul writing to the church there in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. He testifies and and teaches us very clearly and emphatically that we are saved, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. However, that grace that saves is never alone because that grace that saves is an active Faith that's lived out in good works in our lives. This is the way he says it. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. You can't get any clearer than that. So that no one may boast. For... We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Christian life is to be a life of God honoring, Christ exalting, Holy Spirit displaying, gospel advancing good works. God is before creation ordained and appointed that his saved, redeemed people would walk in them. First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul is going to tell them at this local church about his prayers for them. And in doing so, he mentions a couple of words together that are significant. He says in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your what? Work of faith, 
and what? Labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work of faith, labor of love. What's on the screen, our title this morning, Faith Works Through Love Empowered by the Spirit. Here he adds this in his prayer. He remembers them and he's thankful to God because of their work of faith and their labor of love. It's not a lack of labor. It's not a lack of faith or works. It's a matter of motivation. What? It's not if there will be good works. It's what is the motivation for these good works. And one is bondage and drudgery. And one is freedom and joy. The question then becomes, how does this happen? How do these good works come about? What is the motivation? Is it by the external pressure of the law that imposes itself on us from outside of us as we conform out of fear? Or is it, are we motivated by an inward heart? Of love. Now those two things are what is at stake. Is it external pressure from the law as it, as it pressures us from outside of us and motivates us through fear that we will be punished if we do not conform to the letter of the law that we obey and we work and we labor? Or is it because we have an inward heart of love for God and a love for holiness and a love for righteousness that we work and labor and obey? That's the question. The problem, as you all know, with the law is that the law cannot do anything to change our hearts. The problem with the law is not the law in and of itself. Paul says, no, the, the law is holy and good. It's not the law. The problem is our hearts. You see, it's always a matter of the heart. And in religious world systems all over the world and legalistic approach to Christianity, what that does is it, it, it just reduces the Christian life down to a list of rules that imposes itself from outside of the person to, to conform to this list. But the list, no matter what it is, has no power to change the heart. And we know that it is really a matter of the heart. Jesus said to those who were trusting in their performance of the law in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9, Matthew 15, verses 7 to 9, he's talking rather frankly to the religious leaders of his day. In Matthew 15, verse 7, you hypocrites, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their what? Their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. Their heart was the problem. 
These were the religious elitists. They were the ones who were the poster children for conformity to the law. That Jesus says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you because you honor me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. In the book of Luke, chapter 16, Luke 16 and verse 15, Jesus is talking to the same religious leaders and he's talking to them along the same Lines And he says to them in Luke 16, 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your what? He knows your hearts. He knows your hearts. Back in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, one of the most pointed rebukes of the Lord Jesus. It stings just to read these words. How he chided those religious leaders again, the religious elitists. Those were the top of the line, conformed to the law, outwardly performing all of the rites and rituals, going through all the external motions of the letter of the law. Matthew twenty three twenty five. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. All of the external rituals and ceremonies were performed and Jesus had that Scathing rebuke for them. Your heart within is full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So how does it happen? What makes the difference in the Christian life from all other world religions? Or from legalistic Judaism? Or from any other kind of legalism that is imposed upon Christian people who are free in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the alternative? As we go back to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to see that what, what happens here by comparing two verses. So go back to Galatians 5 and verse 6. And we're going to compare Galatians 5 verse 6 with Galatians six fifteen. 6.15. Now you'll want to take notice of this. The first part of these two verses is almost identical. But the last part of these two verses is different. Which is going to help, I believe, clarify for us what needs to take place and how the Christian actually lives the Christian life in joy, listen, and freedom and peace and pleasure. In God, rather than drudgery and slavery. Galatians 5, 6. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So that's the first part. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only what? Faith working through love. Now look at chapter 6 and verse 15. Chapter 6 and verse 15, almost exactly the same words. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but what? Aha! A new creation. So faith that is working by love in the mind of the Apostle Paul is directly connected to the idea that you become a new creation in Christ. You see, it's not about working up the willpower of the flesh to perform and do better. It's about having a radical, fundamental change in your heart as a work of God that creates a new creation. A new creation all Together, remember back in Galatians 5, 5, where Paul says that it is through the Spirit by faith that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And then he goes on in that very next verse to say that it's not circumcision or uncircumcision, but it is faith working through love. It's by the Spirit, it's through the Spirit, by faith, that we're waiting. So part of the Christian life is an eager wait for the fullness of that redemption that is in Christ takes place when Jesus returns. We looked at that last week. Part of living the Christian life is living day by day, eagerly anticipating the fullness of the redemption that we have in Christ, the righteousness that we have in Christ, when we get a new body and we live in eternity in perfect sinlessness forever. So part of the Christian life, according to 5.5, is that by the power of the Spirit in faith, we wait. Well, if that is a part of what it is to work faith, working through love as a new creation of God. It's by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. What has to take place for you, my friend? Is you have to be come a new creation. You have to be born again. Now this separates my friends. People that are in churches all over the world. And they go through the, all of the externals. But it's hard for them. Because their heart has not been changed. They don't have the joy of the Lord. They don't have the pleasure in obedience that the child of God has who is born again, who has been recreated, made a new creation. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. We're a new creation. And beloved, what that is, is exactly what Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus when he talked about being born again. If you would turn to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, 
Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the religious leader. Again, a man who was conformed to the law. He was going through all of the rituals, all of the ceremony, all of the dietary law, observing the the feast days. This was a man who was a religious leader among the people of Israel. And Jesus is going to tell this man that that's not enough. That something radical needs to happen to him. Something radical must happen in order for you to enter and see the kingdom of Almighty God. Listen to what he says. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see how Nicodemus hears this statement? It's the way a lot of people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hear the good news, but what they're wanting to get to is the punchline that says what I need to do in order to get myself saved, and that's not the gospel at all. He was still thinking in terms of the outward conformity in the in the natural What am I going to do? Am I going to somehow get back into my mother's womb and be reborn? Is this what Jesus is talking about? No. Jesus is talking about something spiritual, something internal, something that is powerful on the inside. So Jesus answered in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, and listen to this, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, Remember Galatians 5, 5? It is through the Spirit by faith that we eagerly wait. It is not circumcision or uncircumcision, but it is faith working through love because you are, chapter 6, verse 15, you are a new creation. And here he says, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he explains in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Flesh begets flesh. That's all flesh can do. It cannot produce spiritual life. Your works cannot produce spiritual life. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You had a natural birth born into this world in a natural way, in a physical way. And if you enter the kingdom of God, you will come into that kingdom through a new birth. A birth from above, a birth from the Spirit of God, a spiritual birth. Do not marvel (laughs) that I said to you, you must be born again. And this is so wonderful. I could spend an hour talking to you about this next verse, but I, I won't. How do you help somebody understand the new birth? Well, Jesus says, let me give you an illustration. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind is blowing. And it is, my friend, a picture of The freedom and sovereignty of God the Holy Spirit. 
He blows where he wants to blow. And you don't really know. You didn't see it coming. You don't, you don't witness it coming. You, you hear the sound of it. You might feel the breeze of it. And it goes on by. And you don't know where it went. He says, that's what it's like to be born again. Your, your physical ears are under the preaching of the sound of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that is accompanied by the wind of the Holy Spirit and the power of God to bring about spiritual life, you're born again. He blows where he wishes, when he wishes, upon whom he wishes. And this, he says, Nicodemus, is what has to happen to you if you're going to see and enter the kingdom of God. And beloved, what my connection is, if that is also the prerequisite for you to live the Christian life with joy and pleasure in God. Otherwise, you'll have to try to live it legalistically. You'll try to just conform to what the patterns that you see in the morality of the born again. You'll have to try to conform to the things that you see in the scriptures. But inwardly, you will not be changed. Now, this is exactly what uh, that Nicodemus and other religious leaders should have known was going to happen. Because the Old Testament prophets prophesied about it. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. The book of Ezekiel. You have Isaiah, which a lot of people can find that one pretty easily. Then you have Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel is going to prophesy about the difference between the Old Covenant of Law and the New Covenant that is going to be in Christ. And I'll go ahead and say before we ever begin to read this, that this this prophecy is like many prophecies. It has eschatological ramifications. In other words, there are some things that he's going to talk about that still are yet to be fulfilled in the future coming millennial kingdom. However, it doesn't. It doesn't erase the fact that he is going to talk about the distinction of the new covenant against the old. And what are the marks of distinction of this new covenant that Jesus Christ is going to come and purchase with his shed blood? Remember when he sat with his disciples at the Lord's Supper and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, at the coming of the age of the Messiah, this will begin. It's kind of like reading uh, Daniel's prophecy. He talks about the coming age of the Messiah and the beginning of what is going to beginning to be the beginning of the end, which has far-reaching eschatological ramifications that even in our day are yet to be fulfilled. So with that said, let's look at it in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 22. Because I believe uh, Nicodemus goes on and he says, you know, I, I don't understand how could these things be. And Jesus says, you are a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things. Why would he say that to Nicodemus? Because Nicodemus should have known what he meant. And I believe this is one of the passages that Nicodemus should have known. And I'll point out the similarities when we get to them. Verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. (laughs) You thought you were the center of your own universe or the universe. And they thought that they were. And he reminds them that they are not. 
That God is at the center of all things. God is the apex of all things. And what this whole thing is about is God. He says, I'm not going to act for your sake, but for my sake. He says, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. They had been given the law of God and they broke it. And they were living in rebellion, even though they had such great revelation and light from God through the prophets, through the Old Testament scriptures, through the giving of the law. They had been brought, chosen by God. They had been brought out from among all the other nations of the world. They had even been brought out of slavery in Egypt and God had blessed them and made him himself dwell among the people of Israel. And they had profaned his name and broken his covenant and his commandments. And he says in verse 23, that I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, here's where it starts to get uh, personal about the differences. I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, listen to this next verse. I will sprinkle clean water on you. What did Jesus say in John chapter 3? Unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit. I, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new what? Heart. And a new what? Spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The obedience is not going to come by giving them another law. Obedience comes when God changes their hearts. You're going to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. Again, just like we're saying at the beginning of this sermon, it's not freedom not to obey. It's not freedom uh, to do whatever we want with whomever we want, however we want, because nothing really matters. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is the freedom to actually, from the heart, obey. And love and work and labor for the glory of God and the good of others. He's going to give them a new heart, he says in verse 26, a new spirit. Verse 27, he's going to put my spirit and cause you to walk in my statutes. So the biblical reality that we see in these verses is that a person becomes a new creation in Christ and indwelled by the Holy Spirit and that produces a life of good works. It produces it. A new creation indwelt with the Spirit of God produces a life of God 
honoring, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-displaying, gospel-advancing good works. It's what it produces. It's what it produces. It is the evidence of the reality of the new birth. Not the cause of it. James says it like this in chapter 2 and verse 18. James chapter 2 and verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. Now listen. And I will show you my faith by my works. See the the order? The works are a display of the reality of the faith that you have. You don't work in order to attain a self-righteousness that earns you the favor of God. But when you are made into a new creation, indwelled by the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit then He in you produces a life of faith that expresses itself in good works. Works that honor God. Works that exalt Christ. Works that display the power of the Holy Spirit. Works that advance the gospel into the nations of the world. That's the way it works. And it's the difference, beloved, between joy and sorrow. It's the difference between night and day, life and death. I want for you, as your pastor, to see you love God and experience a communion with God that stamps out the pleasures of sin. Philippians chapter 2, this is probably one of the most pointed verses, two verses, that have shaped my life concerning this subject. Paul says to the Philippian church in Philippians two twelve and 13, something that if we can get it, it's just repeating the pervasiveness of, Of what we began this sermon with. Namely that the Christian life is to be a life that is full of these good works. But the motivation behind it and the power behind it. Is not my willpower of the flesh to do better tomorrow than I did yesterday. But it is because of the pervasive and effectual work of God the Holy Spirit in my life. Philippians 2.12 Listen to what he says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always, what? (laughs) It's not about disobedience in the Christian life. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. What's the next word? (laughs) Work. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
It's not a question of working, whether you work or not, you do work. It's not a question of laboring, whether you do or not, you do labor. It's not a question of obedience, whether you do or not, you do obey. The question is, how do you obey and what is the motivation to obey? Are you being motivated by this motivation that says this? If I obey, I get saved and keep saved. If I obey, I will become righteous in the sight of God and therefore accepted in the sight of God. That's legalism. That's the law. But the other side, the side that we're looking at this morning is explained in verse 13. What's the first word? What's another word for four? Because. You do this. Because of this. Got to get this. You do this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Obey. Not only in my presence. But but in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You do that. Because. God has done this. Read it. For. It is God. Who works where? In you. In you. Inside of you, there at the heart, where it really counts. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to what? Work for His good pleasure. (laughs) It is God who has given you a desire for God. It is God who gives you a desire for holiness. It is God who gives you a desire for righteousness. It is God who gives you a desire to live in a way that honors God and exalts Christ and displays the Spirit and advances the Gospel. It is God that works in you. To give you these desires, the will to do them, and then the ability and the enablement and the power to live it out. It's God. Work out your salvation doesn't mean work to be saved. It means to work out what God has worked in. The reality of the new birth, the new creation, gives rise To a life of faith that expresses itself in good works for the glory of God. Okay. I hope you get it. So that tomorrow and the rest of this day, you can have pervasive joy in the Lord. Let me give you three implications as as I close. Three implications of this truth. Number one. Instead of focusing on improving our actions by looking to the law, we should rather seek to be filled with the Spirit who gives godly and Godward desires. I'll say it again. The first implication is Instead of focusing on improving our actions, got to do better, got to do better, got to do better, got to do better. Instead of trying to live the Christian life that way, we should rather seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us Godward and God-honoring desires, passions in our hearts. 
That's the way that you're going to do it. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. That has a way of influencing you, doesn't it? (laughs) It has a way of influencing what you do. A man can be pretty weak until he gets enough alcohol in him and he becomes Superman or so he thinks. It has a way of controlling you. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, uh, with wine for that is debauchery. But what's the alternative? What is the other influence that you can have in your life but be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's implication number one. Number two, therefore, therefore, we should seek to be saturated in heart and mind in that which the Holy Spirit has given for that purpose. Namely, the Word of God. I'll say that again. Therefore, if number one implication is true... That we should not seek to just focus on improving our actions through the law. Got to do better. But by seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us Godward desires and God honoring desires and passions. If that's true, therefore we should seek to be saturated in mind and heart with what the Holy Spirit has given for that purpose. Namely, the Word of God. The Word of God is the means that God the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life to produce God-honoring and God-word desires. Romans 10.17 says it like this. So faith... Comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. John chapter 6 and verse 63. Listen to what Jesus says. John 6, 63. It is the spirit, Jesus says, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. At all. So trying to use the flesh... To get to spiritual goals. Doesn't help. This is what he says. The words. That I have spoken to you. Are spirit. And life. The words. John. 14. 23. If anyone loves me. He will keep my word. (laughs) And my Father will love Him. And we, this is what I want for you. And we will come to Him and make our home with Him. That's how you live it. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's the same thing. Why will you keep the word? Because you love Him. And if you love him, that's evidence that you are loved of the father and the father will love you. And he says, we, the father and the son will come to you and make our home with you. And then in John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. 
your word is truth. Instead of focusing on improving our actions by looking to the law to do better, we should rather seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit who works in us passions and desires that are Godward, for God, and God-honoring. And if that's true, then we should seek to be saturated by that in which the Holy, that through which the Holy Spirit gives us for that purpose. Saturating ourselves, our minds and our hearts with that which the Holy Spirit has given for that purpose, the Word of God. Number three, the third implication and final one. Consider the power of a superior pleasure. Consider the power of a superior pleasure. The reason that you sin is because sin is pleasurable. But if you can discover, (laughs) if you can taste and see that the Lord is good, you won't want that pleasure anymore. That's not legalism. That's love. Consider the power of a superior pleasure in God. Listen, a superior pleasure of God, which is God. Galatians five sixteen to 18, listen. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians six fourteen. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The work of the cross has crucified the world to Paul. The world is dead to him. And he is dead to the world. Verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. See that connection? The new creation, Paul says... Through the work of the cross of Christ has created in him a situation where the world and all of its fame and all of its pleasure and all of its um, desirability has died. First John, first John, chapter two, verse 15. Listen very carefully to these words. First John, chapter two and verse 15 and 16. I'm almost done. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now listen to this statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone, I'll read it again. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What's the implication? If the love of the Father, if the love for God is in you, love for the world is gone. 
And the very reality of the love of the world is an indication that you don't have love for God. Because love for God is love in a vastly infinite more pleasurable source. The power of a superior pleasure. One more. Second Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18. Second Corinthians. And this is a summary again of everything that we have been learning. Second Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Listen to what he says. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And this is coming by the person of God, the Holy Spirit, who has opened our eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we're changed. We're transformed. Sin (laughs) looks good. Has a pleasure to it. Eyes opened. The glory of God in Christ. I want that. I want that. That's what he's talking about. If you want to overcome sin in your life, you will not get there by focusing on your behavior. Because the problem is in your heart. In my heart. The way that we overcome sin and live the Christian life, which is to be full of God-honoring, Christ-exalting, Spirit-displaying, Gospel-advancing good works, the way that happens is when my heart is satisfied with a superior pleasure in God than I could ever get with sin. Taste and see that God is good and pleasurable And the things, you know the hymn, and the things of this earth grow strangely dim (laughs) in the light of His, what, glory and grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit. Thank You for Your people. Transform us, Lord. Open our eyes to see from glory to glory, glory to glory, in your word, by the power of your spirit, in connectivity to the local church and other Christians, we grow and are transformed into the very image of Christ. Help us to taste it. Help us to see, desire, the superior pleasure, which is you, our God. And our Redeemer, we pray in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.